Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Good. You all sounded good this morning, so that's good. Um, my name is John Bales, and I'm, I'm one of the ministers here at Living Hope Fellowship, and just so grateful to be with you this morning and honored uh, to bring God's Word to you. Um, it's an exciting, exciting day for us because this is the eve of Camp Living Hope. Anybody know what that is? Uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. Uh, this coming week is our VBS called Camp Living Hope. If you're a guest of ours, that's uh, something we did last year and we'll do again this year. I want to take a second first to brag on our church a little bit. Uh, over a, a quarter of our covenant membership is serving at Camp Living Hope. And I think that's just an incredible thing. We have 45 volunteers. So yes, absolutely. That's incredible. Some of which have said, I will take a week off work. So I, for my vacation to work Camp Living Hope. And I just, um, that will not return void. That will absolutely not return void for, for you and for the kingdom. And so uh, you'll be blessed because of that. And I, I'm just so grateful uh, for you all. I am I'm thankful for what God is already uh, beginning uh, with Camp Living Hope and what he'll continue to do. And so um, before I kind of move into everything, there's just a couple of things I want to say. Joe Bennett, uh, where are you at, Joe? There he is right here. He's our camp pastor, and he can stand up. Yeah, he's, yeah there he is. Um, uh, Joe is one of my best friends in the world, uh, also gets to do ministry together, and so just honored to have him. You'll hear a little bit more from him later, uh, but you're going you're gonna to love Joe. Uh, he's, he's a great, a fantastic guy, and so uh, you, you'll just love him. Brings a lot of joy to the room, and the kids will love him too. Some of you in this room say, well, I, I couldn't take a week off work, and I have to work. I've got things going on, and I, I can't be a part of Camp Living Hope. I want to give you three ways uh, that you can be praying for Camp Living Hope. So if you have something to write with, even if you're going to be a Camp Living Hope all week. These are three ways that we can pray together corporately uh, so that uh, we're kind of surrounding this whole place in prayer. And these are very simple things, but I think us praying together is very important for this coming week. Number one is that we're pray- praying for these kids that are coming. Salvation. We w- want to see salvation. Have want to see them connect uh, to Jesus. Praying for the parents and the families. Some of these kids that are coming, uh, they, they're not connected to a church. And so we want to, want to pray for them. So f- number one would be praying for the kids uh, and, and their families and the parents that bring them. Number two, I want to pray for the volunteers. Uh, I want to pray patience for them. You know, it's a long week and some people really dread VBS. And I don't think this is the case for Camp Living Hope, at least I hope not. And just, but just pray for our volunteers, pray for an extra dose of patience uh, and compassion and that we wouldn't just be about the task, but we would be about the kids' hearts. And so uh, pray, pray for the volunteers. And then finally, uh, praying for safety uh, for the week. It looks like it's going to be a fantastic week of weather. I put on here, pray for a cold front, but it looks like it's already going to happen, at least in Louisiana terms. Um, and so, uh, so I've learned that a cold front is like, you know, 88 and like uh, 90% humidity, you know, instead of 100, 150%. So praying for kids, volunteers, and safety. If you can't join in with us that week, these are ways that you could go home and pray and be with us in this whole thing. Um, because it is going to be a fantastic week of, of seeing uh, these kids and us as adults falling more in love with Jesus and what he can do in and through our lives. So... Um, Today, if you have your scriptures, you can turn to Psalm 127. Go ahead and find your way there. It will be on the screen in just a minute. Uh, The last couple of weeks, uh, Josh, he has preached on um, how we identify God's promises in the Bible. 
uh, how, we, how those are used in our life, how we, how we act on those promises. Uh, last week, he talked about the five-year plan for our church. So if you're very interested in like, if you're a guest of ours and you're like, what, what, is, all, what is this all about? Go listen to the podcast. Uh, you can listen to any of his sermons, but the last three weeks have been, have been amazing personally for me. And so I just encourage you to go back uh, and listen to those. those. That five-year plan is really not about like uh, each year where there's a, there's a year marker on it, but it's about the heart behind it. Uh, about about how we are focusing uh, this community collectively. We're focusing our hearts individually toward the Lord. And together we have a collective focus and how we can be the salt and the light of the world. How do we become uh, more salty and more light to this community? And so today I, I kind of was praying through that and thinking about the last three weeks. And today I just kind of wanted to put a little more meat on those bones on how do, how do we live this out personally for our lives Practically, what does it look like uh, for us to act on God's promises? What does it look for us to focus and center our whole life around Jesus? And so that we are a community that actively seeks to be obedient to God. And so uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there are times in, our, in my life that I'm pressed, I'm pushed, I'm constricted, I feel like in every area. And uh, there's still a way for you to be obedient to God in all of that. And then also there are times where there's, there's raises or new jobs or there's benefits to life, there's great joys. And even in those great joys, there are ways for you to continue to be obedient to God and not say, I did this all on my own. I did it myself. So today, I think uh, Psalm 127 verses 1 through 5 will speak to that for us. It's a very practical psalm, but I think there's some things that we can, we can take from it. So I'm going to read for us uh, Psalm 127 verse 1 through 5. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you make me a plain preacher, Lord, so that every kid in this room can understand exactly what I say. Lord, I pray um, that you will uh, just use this time uh, to teach us more about who you are, Lord, and just use me as an instrument of your grace and your glory and kindness. And Father, I I pray, um, Lord, you know I've studied, I've prepared, um, and maybe even too much, a lot in my head, but Lord, you know exactly what each person needs in this room. So if you want to go a different direction from what I've prepared, I'll follow you uh, because you're good and you're faithful and you know what each person needs in this room, Lord. So we love you and we're here because of you. So I pray that you would teach us uh, this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So after you read, uh, read through this scripture upon first read, there are two, two lies about this scripture I want to dispel before we move forward. I think it's important for us to grab onto. Uh, number one, you could read this and say, if I don't have a family or I don't have kids, this, this psalm really isn't for me. Um, because it really talks a lot about at the end, behold, children are heritage from the Lord, and this all connects together. I want to say it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're a senior adult, if you're married with kids, without kids, if you're a teen or a kid in this room, this scripture is for you. 
It is absolutely for you. It's something that, that will teach us how to really uh, focus our heart toward the Lord. And number two, uh, this psalm, um, you, could, you could think after first read that it's really saying like, I don't really have to do anything unless the Lord builds it. I can kind of just step back and just let the Lord do all this stuff. It's not a psalm about laziness. It's a psalm about reliance on the Lord. That we are totally relying on God to, uh, to build our life, uh, to move through our life and our life, but we're also joining in with what God is doing. So we still work and we still labor, but we find out apart from God, it's all in vain. That apart from the Lord, there's nothing eternal. Uh, it just, it's just left on this earth. So those are two things I want you to kind of grab onto because there's a lot of different people in this room. And I don't want the enemy to get in your head like this isn't for you because it absolutely 100% is for you. And so um, as we kind of jump into this, I want to give you a context of what we're reading and talk a little bit about the author. And then we'll talk a little bit about um, the, um, what we can learn from it. So the context of this, Psalm 127, is right in the middle of the Psalm of Ascent, if you've heard about that. The Psalm of Ascent is, starts in Psalm 120 and goes all the way to Psalm 134, and it's 15 psalms, and it, it's, it's, um, it's the Jews traveling up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the three main annual Jewish, Jewish fest- festivals, uh, and these are songs that they would sing together as a family. So just stop and imagine for a second, you're walking up, you're ascending up to Jerusalem, and you are singing one psalm 127 together as your family just think about your family being with you you're walking up this hill you're looking at these buildings being built you're looking at this security around all this kind of thing just keep that in mind as we kind of go through this and and they're singing together unless the lord builds the house the work of the builders is wasted they're singing the song together as family uh, and as people who know each other. So there's all types of people singing this together, single people. There's kids singing it. There's teens singing it. There's all kinds of people singing this psalm. And we know this, that song lyrics get stuck in our head. I mean, that's kind of the point of it. I think God set it up that way. They, it gets, when we put a tune to something, it kind of gets stuck in our head. Even the kids' community group, they sing Scripture together, and Grady will come home and Audrey will come home singing Scripture. It gets kind of stuck uh, in their head, and I know this because Aaron and I took a little trip to Austin, uh, Texas, which is, was pretty fun, and we're on our way back, and it was late, and so I thought, man, I need to listen to music. And it's pretty shameful, like, how many lyrics I actually know versus how many Scriptures I've memorized, you know? Uh, just because, like, they get in your head and and it, and that's and that's really important and so this whole this whole context is a powerful message of the need to rely on God for deliverance it's a need to rely on God for deliverance. This group of Psalms is written, is written in a triad. So if you look starting with 120 and you go to 121 and 122, it goes like this. A Psalm of lament would be 120. And then a Psalm of wisdom would be 122. And then a Psalm of joy or celebration uh, would be 123. And so these are, and so we're right in the middle. Psalm 127 is a Psalm of wisdom. It's to give you wisdom for your life. And to understand, how do I live this life that honors the Lord? And it's a guide to understanding the heart of God and to honor him. And so it makes sense because Psalm 127 was written by Solomon. Anybody know who King Solomon is, right? He's a pretty popular king in the Bible. Um, and he, it's either attributed to Solomon or it's written by Solomon. There's a lot of different takes on it. Um, but he succeeded his father, David. Uh, and he's a builder of many cities, right? He was the wisest in all the land. He, uh, the Lord said, I'll give you anything. And what did he ask for? 
wisdom. I probably wouldn't ask for that. You know, I mean, he, he was a pretty wise dude. He asked for wisdom. And so he asked for all those types of things. And uh, Solomon chose wisdom and God absolutely blessed him. But at some point he began to say, he began to believe somewhere along the way that he could do it better on his own, that he could do it better himself apart from God. In 1 Kings chapter 11, I want to read this. I think it's really important for us to know the context and the author uh, because it helps us understand the psalm as a whole. But in, in Kings chapter 1, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it for us. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. And he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshiped Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, and the detestable god of the Ammonites. It was this way Solomon did what it was evil in the Lord's sight, and he refused to follow the Lord completely as his father had done. And so David, someone who was so wise, had so much wisdom, even he, he wrote Proverbs, right? Ecclesiastes, Song of Song, you, you've read through all these things. Even he, at some point, began to believe this lie that he could do it better on his own. That he could do it better on his own. And the Lord, uh, the Lord told him not to do these things, and guess what he did? He went and did them, and he, he uh, you can read the rest of the story. It's not real fun after that. And so this psalm is written out of that conviction, Trusting God with every part of your life, in every season of your life, in every moment of your life. That we would trust Him in all things. That we would seek Him in all things and look for Him to show up, maybe at the least expected time. And so, in this scripture, we're going to take this in two sections at a time. And, um, and we're going to start uh, with 127, verse 1 through 2. And then we'll move 127, 3 through 5. Because it seems at first take that they're kind of separate psalms. You know, they, they seem like they're, they're kind of different, but they actually work together. And so we're going to start talking about building, protecting, and resting in the Lord. And so first it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So what it's saying here is that the Lord builds, but we also build. In the building of our lives, we acknowledge that God is the creator, that we know God is a builder, right? He built this universe. What else did he build? He built us. He made us in his own image. And without God building, all of these things that we do in life is in vain. God gave us the, the ability to build and create. We can create all kinds of things, right? Uh, you know, there's like uh, Chad Schoonmaker, where you, build, you, you paint stuff, right? You do awesome portraits and all paint and all that kind of stuff. Like God gives us the ability to create and to build, to build relationships with people. He gives us this ability because he himself is a creator and he wants us to create, but he wants us to give him the credit for those things. There are so many things that we can build our lives on that absolutely will not last. We can build our life on our education, our status, our power, our possessions, our retirement. We can even build our life on our family. But we know all of these things 
They have been proven to fail us over time. They're not perfect and they're not the same, just like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the psalmist here, he reminds us that fully trusting in God allows us to enter into what he's already doing, but also for him to build our lives through him. And so on first read, that's a pretty simple statement, right? Unless he builds it, we're building in vain. I mean, that's not hard to grab onto, but I want to answer just a couple of practical questions as we kind of move forward. How do we allow him to build our lives? How do we join with him in the building that he's doing and already done? And why in the world is it important for us to do that? Why does it matter? What's the kingdom purpose for that? Is it, is it, does it even matter if we do this or can we just come to church and go home and be done? I want to give you a, just a, a couple of things to think about. These are just thoughts um, more than anything. Uh, they're things that maybe point out whether God is building your life or whether you're do, trying to do it on your own. One of the ways that we can find out is are we living a life of humility? Are we living a life of humility? You know, the first shall be last and the last will be first. Jesus taught, it on, taught on that. Dallas Willard teaches uh, the path to humility is to never push, to never pretend or presume. Now, I got to be honest, I, I listened to the sermon he preached on this and like I had to go find the commentary on it because I was like, I have no idea what all this means. This is the quote. God will gladly give humility to us if we refrain from pretending we are what we know we are not. From presuming a favorable position for ourselves, and from pushing or trying to override the will of others. So as I kind of thought about this, uh, I thought they were really important. Uh, I came across this, Taylor and I were talking about it, um, but refraining from pretending, not trying to be anyone else, but exactly who God made you exactly. And being okay with exactly who God made that's humility, refraining from presuming, uh, not thinking that other things should be our, not envying things of other people. There's humility inside of that and taking on the form of a servant refraining from pushing. And this is big. I mean, this is big for our marriages. This is big for our friendships, not trying to overpower someone to get our way. There's humility inside of that with our, I can think about, uh, Aaron and I will go, this is kind of a simple, uh, illustration, but we'll, we'll get in the car and like, she'll be like, where do you want to go eat? And I'm like, I don't care where you want to go eat. She like names a place she wants to go. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't really want to go there. And, uh, she's like, Oh, what about this place? And so eventually it becomes about me overpowering what she wants to go do. And and finally we just go, go do what I want to do. She's like, I'm not, she's a, she's like, I'm not going to deal with that, you know? And so just not, not over trying to overpower people or push people too hard or even push the Lord, that we're waiting on him, that we're waiting on the Lord. And we're not saying uh, it's in our time, Lord, but it's in yours, that him building his life in and through us and us building our life on him really is seeking a life of humility, submitting our life to him and accepting that because of that, we are lovable, a life of humility, also a life of forgiveness and repentance, that we are seeking to forgive those who have hurt us, but also we are actively repenting for the ways that we have fallen short, that we are thanking the Lord for, um, thanking the Lord for being, for dying, for, for raising again, for doing all those things. There's an openness to doing God's work and to let him build through us when we have a repentant, broken heart and a willing heart to listen for his voice. And I think sometimes uh, in the center of all that, if we, if we have a heart that has anger inside of it, 
uh, it's really, really hard. It's a great indicator that we probably need to seek forgiveness and repentance in our life. We could be angry at the church. There could be individuals in our life that we are angry with. Um, we could be angry at situations. But God, God wants us to be at rest. He wants us to be at peace. And there's a way to do that. He's offered that through forgiveness and repentance. Here's a couple of things uh, that are important, like kind of a litmus test for are we building our life on the Lord? People watch how you build your life. People are watching all the time. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, they're watching how you're building your life. What you're doing, what you're investing in, what your social media says, what, what you say to your friends and your family, how you handle loss. People watch your life. I mean, we, we watch other people's lives, you know. We, we watch the tabloids. We watch what other people are doing. It's something that we have always done. And parents, our kids watch our lives. They watch what we value most. They watch what we put all of our time into. If I want Grady and Audrey to be uh, God-fearing human beings, then right now in my life, I have to be a God-fearing human being. I have to seek him with all that I have. I, I can't expect Grady and Audrey to fall in love with Jesus if I myself am not totally falling in love with Jesus every single day. I can't expect them to, uh, to seek forgiveness and repentance if I am not a father that does that every single day. I have to show them. And for you, maybe who don't have kids, you have coworkers, you have other family members, you have people around you that are absolutely watching your life and they are saying, how is it that when they have all this loss, all these things are pressed in around them, that they still honor the Lord, that he is still front and center in their life, that he is still building their life and they are seeking him with all that they have. We want to become those people Because if all of us individually that are connected to living hope become those people, we have a collective focus that humility is present in what we do. Forgiveness and repentance is a natural response to what's going on in our life. People watch how you are building your life. They watch it. And they they are desperate. The world is desperate for peace and hope that only Jesus can offer. Here's something else that popped in my head when I was studying this. When we build our lives uh, on our own, we are really less likely to share it with others. It's a great test again. Like if we are not sharing our, our wealth, we are not sharing our time with others, we're not sharing our, sharing our life with others, we can know that maybe, uh, maybe we become selfish with all of those things and we're not allowing the Lord to speak in and through our life and build on it. It's a great test for who is building your life. How do you feel about sharing all of your wealth, all of your possessions, all of your time? How do you feel that God asks us to tithe, to give to him our first 10%? And really the question becomes, uh, are we willing to share our church? Are we willing to grow in a way that we share with this community? I thought about um, an example, maybe kind of funny, I don't, I don't know, but uh, you have watched the Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge. You ever watch that? It's like the age-old story, right? I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's like a curmudgeon, you know? He's like in his office, he don't, he's bah humbug, he doesn't want to be bothered. Why? Because he has kept everything to himself. He's held all his wealth, all of his everything, and Bob Cratchit's over there being like, hey man, uh, I just need a couple of dimes, you know, to make it. 
And he's like, no, I'm not giving you anything. And what happens, right? He goes to sleep. The, the past, present, and future shows up. And they show him, like, if you continue on this path, like, this is what your life is going to look like. And then he wakes up and he comes to his senses. And he begins to give all this stuff away. And g- g- give his life away, basically. And so when we build our lives on our own, we are way less likely to share it with others. And so the more the Lord builds to us, the more we actively find humility and forgiveness, repentance, and all of those things that, um, that God, God will begin, uh, we begin to share and we're called to share because that's what Jesus did. That's his example to us, that Jesus completely shared his life. In fact, he gave his life for us. Jesus always had a, he he just, he summed up everything really, really well. And he did that in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 through 27. Uh, He tells a story. You've you've probably heard this scripture before, but I think it sums up this first part about building. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in and flood flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and floods come up and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Unless the Lord builds it, we labor in vain. And you may be in this room and you would say, like, I've built my life all wrong. I've built it. I've built it totally wrong. I've constructed myself. I've done all these things. But here's the beautiful part is that because of the cross, because of the resurrection, he can reconstruct all of those things. He can build you anew and afresh and put good bones to that foundation. And so we talk about building. He also talks about watching. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Whatever we build, we want to protect. What we build in life, we ultimately want to protect it. What God builds in and through us, through us, he wants to protect it. And so we read this in light of the Holy Spirit, in light of knowing Jesus has come to die and he came to die and save us from our sins. The protection of our heart begins with us asking God to intercede. The protection of our heart begins with us asking God to come in to intercede on our behalf. This may sound familiar, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That it's uh, this, this watching over us and watching over the city, watching over our hearts is a reminder that God wants to be involved in every part of our lives. When we are wounded, uh, he wants to be a part of it. When we are joyful, he wants to be a part of protecting that joy and it doesn't turn into pride. He keeps us, he keeps, he keeps us safe in that way to watch over us as a good shepherd. Psalm 18 two said this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my savior My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. We can try with our best efforts to protect and watch, but it is God who knows us best. He knows every single part of us, and what God builds, he will protect, and he promises to do that. And it must be God, it has to be God who's our first line of defense in our life. We can, we can run, like when it comes to being hurt or, or our hearts are in a, in a tough place, we can run to a lot of different places. I mean, it's very easy to do that. We can run to, to family and friends, and those are not bad things, but God knows you best. And he wants to speak directly to what's going on in your heart, and his Holy Spirit can do that. And he can renew you and give you rest in it. He's a God, he's just a good shepherd in that way. 
And so because of the building and because of the watching, he gives us rest. Listen to this next part. It is in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. If we allow God to build and protect, watch our lives, we find rest. We don't have the bread of anxious toil or all this worry inside of us that we trust him. When we wake up in the morning, we trust him. He's the first thing on our minds the first thing on our heart. And we go to sleep, we thank him. And he's the last thing on our heart and mind. And we go to sleep with that in mind. God does not want us to be exhausted. He doesn't want us to be tired. And he says this, he gives his children rest. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Again, he sums it up pretty good. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Scripture is not saying that you shouldn't get up early. Or go to bed late. That's not necessarily what it's saying here. Like some, some of us parents, we got to get early so we get a little me time. We can read together and we can get things done. Got to work out. Those things are okay. Or going to bed late. You're hanging out, doing your thing. It's what is your life centered on? If it's centered on you and not centered on the Lord, you are going to be exhausted. You are going to be worried. You're going to be fearful. But if it's centered on the Lord, he says, I give my beloved rest. Because of Jesus saying, come to me, all you are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If you are tired, he will give you rest. It's true that our our bodies are tired. My parents came in a couple of weeks ago, and I was sitting at dinner with them. I looked at my dad. I was like, when you were my age, were you this tired uh, with kids? And my dad had four four boys. And so uh, he was like, yeah, and and I had no food in the house ever. And, uh, And so... He was like, yeah, I was exhausted, you know, and I thought, well, that makes me feel a little better, you know, that my physically I'm just, I am tired, but my spirit is full. Spirit is full because, um, because of who Jesus is and what he has done. This is Paul talking, second Corinthians four sixteen. That is why we never give up though. Our bodies are dying. Our bodies are dying. This is an old earth suit. Our spirits are being renewed every single day. And when we let him build and we let him watch and protect, that's, we might be tired physically, but our spirits are full. That anything that's thrown at us, any, any situation, we're still full because God is at the center of our life. To truly understand all of one and two, we have to really understand this line that he gives his beloved, that word, you can underline it in your Bible, he gives his beloved sleep. We are the beloved of God. We are the adopted. We are the adopted God that he chose us. And for some of us, uh, it's hard to even understand God to build or to watch or protect. If we don't understand first that he loves us so much that he chose us and he knows every single part of us and we're not a mistake, that we're a treasure to him. Sometimes we forget that along the way in the journey that we're chosen and loved by him. But he made you to love you. He truly did. So to understand that scripture, you've got to understand that, that you, you are the beloved of God. And so the question becomes is, uh, how, do, how does one and two connect really to three and five? It seems very, very separate. What does it have to do with anything? How does, how does it connect? But it does connect, and I want to, I want to tell you how. 
So it says this, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are a children from one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills a quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemy at the gate. Here are two things I want to offer you in this section. First, it's hard to know children or relationships that we have are a reward when we're not rested. It's really, really hard for, to know that the relationships that we have and even our children are a gift and a reward, a heritage when we're not rested. And I know it's because I get real tired sometimes and I'm not connected to the Lord at times and I feel like disconnected and my kids are going crazy and I'm like, I, I say things I shouldn't appear in a way that's not godly. And so I have to, I have to remember that ultimately, like if, if I allow him to build it, if I watch it and protect it, that when I'm rested, I make real, a lot better uh, decisions and my relationships are strong. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says about this and long obedient in the same direction. He says this, the example about children being a ward couldn't be better chosen. What do we get to, what do we, how do we get sons and daughters? Very little. The entire miracle of procreation and reproduction requires our participation, but hardly in the form of what we call our work. We did, my, we did not make these marvelous creatures that walk and talk and grow among us. We participated in the act of love that was provided for us in the structure of God's creation. And we didn't, we didn't cause, I didn't cause, I, I didn't make it all work intricately. Like I, I was involved in it, but I didn't cause it to happen. And I, it's the same way that God builds through us that we're, we're connected to him. And it's a tangible reminder that we are participators, but it's God who creates we're simply joining into what God has already do, done and what he's doing, and it points us back to him again and again. It also reminds us that God is relational, and that he's a relational God. He wants us to have relationships that honor him. And our, our, to remind us that our work is not defined by our, our possessions, uh, but by the character of our relationships. What are we pointing for people toward? What are we pointing our kids toward? What are we pointing our families toward, our coworkers toward? What is our life saying to them over and over and over? Because relationships really are seen in two ways. Either someone who Jesus lives in or someone who Christ died for. We see people in those two ways. And if they live in them, that we're trying to edify them, edify Jesus and, and continue to grow with them. But we're also trying to share Jesus with those who don't know him. And so for us, when we look through the scripture, we want the Lord to build. We want the Lord to protect and watch and guide us. We have to allow those things to happen. We have to ask him to move in and through our life. He doesn't just run in and like go crazy in our heart. We have to say, Lord, come. Come and search our hearts and show us the areas that need to be redefined by you. And so for us as parents, we can ask our kids, what, what, is my, what does my life say I value most? Like you could ask your kids, what is most important to me? They're brutal. Like my kids will totally tell me like, hey, these, these things are important to you. And I'm like, those things, I need, I need to check those. So asking our kids those. Are you, are you focused more on what's temporal or what's eternal? Because this really is a psalm of eternity. It's about what, what we're connecting to in the kingdom and how we live that out. What platforms has God blessed you with that you can show that God is building your life? Everyone in this room is given a platform in some way to show that God has built your life. And, uh, and we can share that with others in that platform. So kind of as we close out, 
I want you to just take a second to put yourself back in the context of the psalm, uh, of the building, of the watching that you and your family are walking up, walking up the hill to Jerusalem, and you're with your family, you're with your kids, uh, you're with your friends, and you've been walking a long time. You've camped out in the desert, you know, you've, you've done all those things. And I want to read you this little excerpt, and, uh, and then we'll, I've got a couple more things and we'll be done. The first people to sing this psalm had expended much effort to get to Jerusalem. Some had come great distances. They overcame great difficulties. Would there be a tendency among the pilgrims to congratulate one another on their successful journey? To swell with pride about their accomplishments? To trade stories of their experiences? Would there be comparison on who made the longest pilgrimage, the fastest pilgrimage, or who had brought the most neighbors or who had come the most times. Then through the noise of the crowd, someone would strike up the tune, if God doesn't build it, we build in vain. The pilgrimage that we're on is not at the center. The Lord is at the center. No matter how hard they struggle to get there, no matter, no matter what they did in the way of heroics, fending off bandits, clubbing lions, crushing wolves, that is not what is to be sung. Psalm 127 insists on a perspective in which our effort is at the periphery and God's work is at the center. So what we do is we join in and place God at the center of our life and we make much of Jesus wherever we are. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Would that be said of you? Would it be said of our church? That if this, if this church disappeared today, would, would people notice? Would it be said of us that, you know, for John, like a lot of people trust in a lot of things, but he trusts in the Lord and he will see him through. And so this morning, this psalm is really, um, really want to just, I don't know where it lands for you, honestly. The building, the watching, protecting, uh, the, the relationships that we have are award. We have platforms. There's a lot of things in there. But you have a chance to respond to that this morning. And we respond in four ways. First, uh, we have, uh, we'll have the Lord's Supper here. And if you're a guest of ours, uh, there'll be a couple of people down here to serve you. And you would just take and dip into the juice. Take, eat, and remember. And we have the altar here. If you were here and you would say that, man, I, I just want to reconnect to the Lord. I want to realign my life to the Lord. You can do that here. There'll be some people on the front row to pray with you if you want that. There's also giving stations on the side if you'd like to give and honor the Lord with your, uh, with, your, with your money and your finances. So I don't know where this lands for you this morning, but I know this, that um, God wants to build into your life and inside of all those things, you can find rest uh, for your souls. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you. We're grateful for who you are. Lord, we, um, we pray that you would uh, teach us every day how to align our hearts to you, Lord, how to, how to know that you provide rest for us. Lord, you build our life, Lord, and you watch our life, and we can rest in those things. And God, I, I thank you for um, all the people in the room. Lord, I pray you continue to shape their heart, Lord, to look like you. Lord, they will ask you and insist on you coming into their heart to, to look through there for areas that maybe aren't for you, Lord, and that you and your grace and your kindness can, can change those things. And so, Lord, we're uh, honored um, 
to be in your presence, honored to be together. So I just pray that uh, you would uh, continue just to work on our hearts as we respond to you. Lord, we love you and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can stand as we worship.